A Seal Upon My Heart The Girl from Waikiki By Sister Mary Marguerite God is love, Leila, my mother used to tell me in her soft Hawaiian way. Her words were punctuated by the sound of the breakers on the most beautiful beach in the world, the famous Waikiki beach of Honolulu. Her eyes would seek the horizon and then look down into the small, upturned brown face which happened to be mine, as though she were seeking the God she spoke about. I think she found him. She seemed to find him everywhere. For this is the traditional story of a missionary vocation in reverse. Not the American girl goes as missionary to South Seas, but South Seas Island girl goes as missionary to America. From Laila, my Hawaiian name, I have become Sister Mary Marguerite in a thoroughly American home mission community called the Parish Visitors of Mary Immaculate. And I think my mother's simple religion lesson, God is Love, had much to do with it. The story begins in the most traditional of fairy tales. Brilliant, talented Xion of a German-French family settled in the island since whaling days marries good and lovely Polynesian girl and is promptly disowned in consequence. My father, Edward Velour, was a sculptor. My mother, Anna Popo, was a full-blooded Polynesian whose father had edited the first Hawaiian-language newspaper, translated the Bible into Hawaiian, and served in the House of Representatives. His wife was a lady-in-waiting in her youth to Queen Liliaukalani, the queen who is visiting Queen Victoria of England remarked, I too have English blood in my veins. My ancestors ate Captain Cook. After the marriage, my father being disowned, was first to work as a carpenter. So we were poor. My home was a bare, unpainted five-room house on the edge of Waikiki Beach, with the turquoise Pacific lapping and crashing at the outer edge. There was not much furniture, but there really wasn't room for much. Once you got fifteen children, seven boys and eight girls, my father and mother, the two children my mother adopted, because there was no one to care for them, and the assorted and constant flow of visitors into the house. But our poverty never weighed upon us. We spent our healthy, effervescent, happy childhood days in swimming and rowing and laughing and fishing and the unending sunlight, and our evenings sitting with groups of neighbor children on the seawall singing and waving flower lays. We went to school, of course, but largely because it was inflicted upon us. The general tenor of life in the little house at Waikiki was share and share alike, and when there was nothing to share, take it like a good soldier. My mother had good discipline, and with a houseful like us, she needed it. Gentle and smiling as she habitually was, she, had fir she said firmly, I don't want to have to tell you anything twice. And she broke no transgressions of that law. The only religion lesson she ever taught us was, God is love. And she would continue, The way you show your love for him is by the love you have for others. If someone starts a disturbance, say nothing to him. Just say to yourself, God is love and walk away. 
I think the reason I have never forgotten that lesson is that my mother came as near to living it twenty-four hours a day as is humanly possible to do. For formal religious instruction, she trusted the church going which was mandatory in our house. At seven, I was baptized in the Mormon church, the religion of my parents, and called Rachel. We went to church on Sundays and on Wednesdays to prayer meetings at one of the Hawaiian homes where it was held in rotation. But it was my mother's all-inclusive kindness, a love which embraced everyone and everything, which together with her deep gratitude for God for the simplest things, were the major religious influences of my life. The night prayers she led often lasted to our consternation fifteen minutes, and her grace before meals ten. She simply could not thank God often enough, or long enough, or sincerely enough to express the loving gratitude in her heart for the life and health and joy God had given us all. There was school, one of the public schools of Honolulu, but until high school athletics came along, school was, as I have said, strictly in the category of necessary evil. As far as I was concerned, then I learned methods of instructing in athletics, captain the basketball and baseball teams for several years, and rode in many island boat races. During my third high school year, I was forced by the death of my father to leave school and go to work. Later, with the aid of an uncle, I finished school and studied at the University of Hawaii. I had yet to learn that God sometimes uses the things we like to bring us to the things He likes. Since it was my love of high school athletics which led me to the place where my slowly dawning restlessness would be forever quieted by the truth of the Catholic Church. I found congenial employment as a dental assistant and later as an interviewer in a settlement house called Palama Settlement and was soon also given part-time work as instructor in six sports. It had been my childhood ambition to spend my life working for the poor and now it seemed that that ambition had been fully satisfied. I should have been supremely happy for my other love, music, was receiving its full share of attention too. Starting in the choir of the Mormon church, I was soon singing Hawaiian songs at social gatherings and then over the Honolulu radio on programs sponsored by various business firms. On Sunday evenings, I sang at the famous Honolulu Leuyi Che Chop Suey House. I loved to sing, to work for the poor, and to instruct in the athletics. I was doing all three, and in doing so, earning more money than I had dreamed of as a child, and still there was a void. Just then, when I had hoped to make my mother's life easier and more pleasant, she died suddenly of a cerebral hemorrhage. Poor, perhaps in money, but rich in love and confidence in God. After my mother's death, I was still active in the Mormon church, especially in the choir, but it was beginning to seem a little empty to me, very much like going to a house where the mother is not at home. Still, I was chosen to attend a young people's Mormon convention in Salt Lake City, and I accepted. 
We went to all the Mormon temples, met all the high officials of the church, and learned Mormon beliefs and practices to the last detail. Yet I returned to Hawaii more confused than enlightened. I was beginning to have vague misgivings about many of these beliefs, and it puzzled me that the Mormons had a human founder, if there was a divine church. I had not thought of the Catholic Church as even a remotely possible solution to my difficulties until a friend invited me one evening to go with her to a triduum. She explained that I would only have to sit there while a priest preached on religious subjects and that I would not have to give to the collection. I went. The religious subject that evening turned out to be on hell. I had given no thought to that place of eternal punishment, but Father Vaughn S.J. from San Francisco was very specific about it and most impressive. On the way out of church, my friend decided to go to confession. At that time, I thought the little door along the wall led into the closets. She murmured something about my waiting for her, but not to be outdone, I went into one of the closets, too. Seeing a priest sitting behind a little screen, I told him I was not a Catholic, but wanted to say how much I liked the sermon. The sound of his voice as he thanked me gave me strong suspicions that he was laughing. Such was my first intuition into things Catholic. Not long afterward, a friend begged me to help out at Sisters at a new Franciscan convent school in the lovely valley of Manoa. They had been unable to obtain an athletic instructor for their pupils. Very slowly and reluctantly I agreed to fill in, although my days were already full. The first afternoon I went to the school, I met Sister Gonzaga, one of the teachers. She was calm and friendly and sweet, and looking not one bit like the instrument of divine grace she proved to be. Our friendship grew, and I tried to tell her about my faith. But then I had told about the social events and the fundraising meetings. There was no more to tell. Occasionally, Sister invited me into the chapel. It was clean and beautiful. My interest grew, and one day, six months later, I said, I'm getting very curious. Will you please tell me something about your church? My instruction had begun. It lasted six months, and little by little, Sister introduced me to the various doctrines to Our Lady, and to the saints. The things I found hardest to accept was the church's teaching on Our Lady. Our Lady has taken sweet vengeance for that. She has become my dearest friend, has sent me to communities dedicated to her, where every sister bears and uses daily the name of Mary. Every day now that I have found the house where the mother and her divine son are eternally at home, I asked her to forgive me for those days when I did not know her and thought that too much was being made of the Mother of God. Sister's program of instruction introduced me to the Catholic books, movies, and radio programs of Monsignor Fulton J. Sheen, now Bishop Sheen, was the one who cleared up my difficulties about our Blessed Mother by his beautiful sincerity in speaking of her. Since my baptism in July 11, 1940, I have never for an instant 
had a single doubt of my Catholic doctrine, and this I ascribe to Mary's protection alone. From the day of my baptism I became a daily communicant, and thus became acquainted with the Mary Knoll sisters attached to my home parish. I was much honored to sing for their mother general, Mother Mary Joseph, and to receive from her an invitation to visit her, should I ever be in the United States. Sister Gonzaga had entered religious life, and was thoroughly and completely beautifully in love with her vocation. Naturally, therefore, she talked of it to me, of the wonders of God himself, actually inviting a girl to belong to him alone, to serve him alone, to love him alone, and thus to become a saint, for his pleasure alone. It was as though I knew that some day God would want me to do just that, and I was frightened. Almost at once I began to review to myself all the interests I already had, how busy and happy I was, how impossible for me was the religious life, how unnecessary, really. Besides, I argued, Sister Gonzaga and her like were lace-paper angels, being all dressed up in a habit, and not being free to live one's own life were easy for them. But for me? Oh, no! Oh, no! I even said to her once, Just because you are locked up here, there's no need for my being the same way. Sister laughed at the locked-up theory, and prayed, and went on loving her religious vocation, and talking about it. And I went on fighting mine. But the seed was planted, and the memory of my mother's God is love watered it. I am sure that my mother must have been praying for me in heaven. Mother had said, The way to show our love for God is by our love for others. Try as I would to ignore it, the thought kept reoccurring. How can we better show our love for Him than by giving our love to serve Him in others? But I said nothing to anyone. So I was thunderstruck when one morning, after Mass, Father Ferron, one of the parish priests, stopped me to remark, I had a dream last night about you entering the convent. I gulped, wished that the ground would open up and swallow me, and answered the last thing I had ever expected to say. I hope, Father, that God will find me worthy to work for Him some day, and I realized that I meant it. After writing several communities, Sister Gonzaga did the inquiring for me. I narrowed it down to two, a southern community and the parish visitors of Mary Immaculate, both engaged in family counseling, home missionary work, and the like. Deciding on the southern community, I talked to the chaplain at the convent school, and he encouraged me greatly in my vocation. I determined to go over to the United States and if things worked out, to stay and enter that community. However, before entering the convent, I would go to a new London, Connecticut first, to visit my sister, who was not well. Arriving in New York, I registered at a midtown hotel to rest before the last lap of the trip to New London. Sitting in my room, I looked through my address book, remembering the Mary No Mother General's invitation to visit her. If Mary Noel was near, I thought, I might. I found instead New York City address of the parish visitors of Mary Immaculate. There it was, 
328 West 71st Street. That was only a few blocks away. Why not go and see them? My heart was pounding hard with excitement when I met the sister who was then Assistant Mother General. Sister Mary Catherine was tall and gentle and very kind. I learned later that she was one of the first members of the community, a real pioneer in her work of family visitation. Sister told me all about the work of the community, that they contacted the Catholic families by means of a parish census directed by the pastor of the parish, and thus found and reclaimed countless fallen-away Catholics. They brought couples to the re rectory for convalidation of civic or non-Catholic marriage, instructed children for First Communion and Confirmation, especially the public school children or children of neglected families, notified the priests of ages, aged shut-ins so that they might receive the sacraments and direct parish clubs and sodalities. Sister talked of it all very matter-of-factly, and ended by saying that some of their missions were exclusively catechetical, teaching in catechetical centers for public school children and visiting their families, especially those with spiritual problems. I sat there and felt smaller and smaller. I, who had many interests, I, who had no use for being locked up as a nun, these sisters were calmly, silently, unobtrusively doing more for souls in a week than I had done so far in my lifetime. Sister brought a postulant to the parlor so that I might see how they dressed. A postulant is someone who isn't a nun yet, but they're learning how. So they just wear a regular dress and maybe a veil. And then later on, you have a novice who receives the habit. And then after that, you have someone who has the habit and they take vows. So then they're married to Jesus. The dress was long and black and slim and simple. And to my relief, there was not nearly so much surge as Sister Mary Gonzaga had worn. And while this was only a postulant's dress, Sister's habit was almost as slender and simple, though of a different style. Sister sent me to the community's mother house called Mary Crest at Monroe, New York, a beautiful town in the mountains, 50 miles northwest of New York City. When I alighted from the taxi before a tall, fieldstone mansion atop a hill, the portress, an aged nun, greeted me. I said, I am from the Hawaiian Islands. Sister's eyes widened in surprise. And you speak English? I was so stunned by the question that I was not sure for the moment whether I did or not. Then we laughed together. She took me into the chapel, and I knew I had come home. The impression was confirmed by my interview with the foundress, Mother Mary Teresa Talon. All the doubts and questions were smoothed away by this serene woman, with the warm brown eyes and the clear strong voice, and the decisive manner of speaking and acting. I spent a sleepless night in the guest cottage, but by morning I had decided that here was where God wanted me. Here was the parish visitors of Mary Immaculate, showing our Lord my love by serving Him in others in a way that so thoroughly suited my tastes, my temperament, and my training. Missionary visitation, family counseling, catechetical instruction. I could do good in the world, could even do part-time, 
and to some extent full-time in the Hawaiian settlement work. The kind of service to the poor that I'd always dreamed of doing, but it would be doing it my way, not God's way. It would be dividing myself in a sense and not giving him quite all that I knew he wanted of me. Slowly, since I then, with the grace of God, give so generously and continuously to religious, a point which I had entirely overlooked, has come home to me. It is the very important one that we can help others to know and love God only in proportion to our own love for Him, that we can influence and reclaim sinners, or anyone else for that matter, in exact proportion to our recollection and union with God, no more, no less. The life of prayer and contemplation is and necessary must be the very life breath of a mission such as ours. I took my final vows at the parish visitor of Mary Immaculate on the Feast of Our Lady's Visitation, July 2, 1948. The community ceremony includes our offering of ourselves as willing holocausts for the most abandoned souls, and the emblem we receive at final profession is an ebony and silver crucifix. Yet we are happy with that handful of grace and peace that, as our Lord himself promised, only he can give. And if there are little hidden daily sacrifice of taste and inclination, as there are bound to be, it is these which provide us with the bulk of our holocaust. After all, religious life is meant to be a giving to our Lord and others, and not a getting, and we would not have it any other way.